Father, Lord, that is the truth, Lord. You still move in our midst, Lord. You still care for us, Lord. You still are here, receiving all the glory, standing in the midst of your church, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come and we can rejoice around the open book, Lord, and know all the seals have been revealed. No, all the thunders have sounded, Lord. We're living, Lord, right on the cusp of time. Lord Jesus, we just want you to come and move once more. Once more, Lord, would you come speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. Make yourself known, Lord. Father, would you show your glory once again, Lord, as we just look to you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, Father. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for how you came by my way this afternoon. Lord, as is just in the office, Lord, and how you were there. But, Father, I pray one more time. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, and we don't just want to just have you here, but come take us home, Lord. Father, we just long to be with you. The hour is ever near. It's just that great millennial morning. We're just looking for it. Our heart cries out, Lord, we want to be with you, Jesus. So, Father, would you just give us a little taste of that tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, musicians. Thank you, Brother Marion. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Welcome once again to the house of the Lord. Amen to see everyone here, the visitors, the regulars, and the in-betweeners. God bless you. That way, whatever you call yourself, you just put your name there. And you're welcome. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22. Amen. 
Amen. Well, we sure appreciate it. Brother Ed said the specials tonight. I was rejoicing. Brother Cook, I appreciate that prayer tonight. God bless you. Amen. We see the, the children coming up and singing and rejoicing. We see them up here, but there's a thankless job in the church that is being a sound man. But also the sound men have brought their children to help out with that. And God bless you, Brother Jeff, Lily Elliot. Amen. We appreciate what you do for the kingdom of the Lord. Amen. Luke chapter 22, verse 46. It says, and said unto them, let's just back up to one verse there, Brother Ethan. Because when he rose up from prayer, he was come to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold a multitude. And he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. Amen. May the Lord his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. I just want to take notice as we take a, a small subject tonight, what I thought was a small subject, and it just kept growing, but into the darkest hour. If I could take a title, I would call it the darkest hour. And here we have Jesus as we know, and it would be something we'd read very often as Christians, and it's very dear to our hearts. Jesus, as he's coming to be um, betrayed, and he becomes arrested, and we know he was betrayed by Judas, and how it all happened. But here he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he would pray, and he would go three times, and he would pray. And he would come back and find his disciples sleeping in another place in Mark. It would record and say, truly, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But he, he, I want you to notice, he says, why sleep? They were sleeping for sorrow. It wasn't that they were just sleeping because of something, but they were sleeping for sorrow. There was something in their hearts that was heavy, something that was burdensome, but still it had overtaken them, and they would just sleep, and they were tired because of it. They were weary because of it. And we find, he says, why sleep ye? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. And, and I want you to notice this is right at the cusp of the change of dispensation. This is right at a time where Jesus knows the hours come. The time is here. And it says even, while he yet spake, the multitude came. While he was yet admonishing them, yet while he was speaking to them, they were coming to betray him. They were coming to arrest him. But in, in his last words to them before he was arrested was, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. There has to be something going on. Pray lest you enter into temptation. Just, just how to be sure that you would not fail in the hour of temptation. In other words, there's coming a temptation. There's coming something upon them. And this word tem temptation is, is actually, if you take it back and, and look into the definitions of it, is the putting of the proof. Or the solicitation of proof because of adversity. In other words, pray lest you enter into trying to prove what you believe by your own reasoning. Or lest you begin to question the word of the Lord. 
pray. There has to be a relationship there. It's solicitation, he says, that solicitation, that temptation, that will come. But he gives you an, an immediate weapon against it where he says, there is temptation, but there's a way to escape it. There's a way to go overcome it. There's a way to do it. And it's not by sleeping. It's not by just being lackadaisical, but rather it's by praying. It's by entering in. And we know the Bible says, we'll take no thought, but the Holy Spirit will give you utterance, right? When you're brought before magistrates and these different ones, don't take any thought what you should say. But how could you know it's the Holy Spirit speaking if you don't know the Holy Ghost? You have to know him. You have to understand his ways. You have to have relationship with him. I find it interesting because we often preach, have you met Jesus? And amen, we want to meet Jesus. You need to meet him. You got to meet him on the backside of the desert. You got to make sure that you've met the, your savior. You've met the, 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 the author of your salvation. You got to make sure you've met him. But it has to go deeper than that. Amen. I could sit down here and... You just forgive me. I know there's visitors here, but I'm going to use one of them as an example. God bless you, buddy. I'm Brother Andrew. What's your name? Ben. ben. Pleasure to meet you. God bless you. You've met me now, right? How many kids do I have? What's their names? What's my favorite color? Is this my son? Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Kinda... See, sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. God bless you. He's met me, but he doesn't know me. That's the same way it is with the Lord Jesus. You say, well, I've met him. Do you know what he likes? Do you know what it is to talk with him? Do you know what it is to be his bride? Do you know, has he whispered his little secrets to you? Or is it just, yeah, I've met him. I know he exists. I know he's there. I know that I've been in his presence and I've, I've felt him, but has it gone deeper than that? Because he's saying there is a relationship. There is a temptation that will come. He's saying there has to be something. You've got to pray. You've got to enter in. You've got to meet Jesus on more than just a one-off basis. You've got to sit down and have fellowship with him. Amen. This is exactly the hour the disciples were entering into. The hour of temptation. Where everything they believed would be questioned. Was, it, was, was this really the Christ? They had their ideas. When he began to say, well, I'll, I'll have to lay this life down, and, and they, they, would, they would reject that thought. You're the king. You're going to be the king of Israel. You're going to raise up. You're going to drive out the Romans. They still had this sort of an idea in their minds. No matter how plainly Jesus spoke, as in one place as they come to the end of, 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 of the, the supper and he's just speaking with disciples and he begins to speak to them and Peter rises up and says, Behold, now, Lord, you speak plainly. And, and, and even though he spake that way, still they had their ideas. And then they would begin to question him. Peter would even deny him three times. Just hours after defending him with his sword. Just mere hours after saying, I'll fight for you. I'll die for you. I, I'm the one. Yeah. Hours later, say, I don't even know him. The hour of temptation. Where all would forsake him. They begin to question. He wouldn't even open his mouth when he was mocked, when he was beat. 
He was to die the most shameful death. He was buried in the tomb. Now there's a real trying time. Or even Peter would say, well, I guess I'll just go back to fishing. I guess this is it. He's in the tomb. What more can we do? We tried. We thought this. We thought that. We thought it was this. We thought it was that. We thought it was this. We, we thought that. Oh, my. But what did Jesus ask them to do? Rise and pray. Have a relationship. He says, the time is changing here. I won't always be here for you to just ask. But I will be here for you to just ask. Because yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. <clears throat> Forgive me, I don't usually do this to bring a, my church age book, but I... I was going to put it in my notes. I thought I'd like to just read it right out of the church age book. As it's in the Philadelphian church age in, in, in Revelations 3 and verse 10, it says, I will keep thee in the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, and try them that dwell upon the earth. That's a scripture. That's true. There's coming an hour of temptation that will try everyone, all them, try them that dwell on the earth upon all of the world. Then he, Brother Branham goes on to say the verse is not a declaration that the true church will go into the tribulation. It's not what it means. If it meant that, it would have said that. But it said, I will keep thee in the hour of temptation. Now this temptation is exactly like the temptation in Eden. It will, be very, it will be a very inviting proposition held up in direct opposition to God's commanded word. And yet, the, from the standpoint of human reasoning, it will be very right. Oh, my. So enlightening and life-giving as to fool the world. My goodness. So life-giving, so enlightening. Only the very elect will not be fooled. And the temptation will come as follows. The temptation will come as follows. He begins to just spell it out. And he says, the ecumenical move that was, that was started on what seems such a beautiful and blessed principle. He puts in parenthesis, fulfilling Christ's prayer that we all might be one. Even, that's in John 17, because it becomes so strong politically that she bears pressure upon the government to cause all to join with her, either directly or through adherence to principles enacted into law, so that no people will be recognized as actual churches unless under direct or indirect domination of this council. Little groups will lose charters, privileges, etc. Until they'll lose property. And catch this next one. And spiritual rights with the people. Not natural rights, spiritual rights. It says, for example, right now, unless the local ministerial association approves of many, approves in many, and he goes on to to. to talk about how the, the example that he, that he lays out, 
and how that you have to be voted in by a Trinitarian ecumenical move in order to even be a chaplain in the armed services or in hospitals. You have to agree with their uh, ideologies. In verse, but he says, as this pressure increases, and it will, it will be harder to resist. For to resist is to lose privilege. And so many will be tempted to go along. For they will feel, listen carefully, for they will feel it is better to serve God publicly in the framework of this organization than not to serve God at all publicly, but they err. You might have to serve him behind closed doors, but that's better than to compromise and have a public testimony. To believe the devil's lie is to serve Satan. Oh my. Even though you may want to call him Jehovah, but the elect will not be deceived. Furthermore, the elect will not only be kept, but as this move becomes the image erected to the beast, the saints will be gone in the rapture. Oh, hallelujah. As this move begins to take on its final form, the bride goes up. And this little delightful, winsome movement that started out in fellowship at Ephesus will become the monster of Satan that defiles and deceives the whole world. For the church system of the Roman Catholic and the Protestant is coming together and will control the whole wealth and world system and force the whole earth into its religious trap or will kill them. How will it do it? By refusing them the privilege of buying and selling. Whereby they would make a living. This will be accomplished simply for the harlot's daughters are all gone back to her. And in the meantime, Rome has acquired nearly all the supplies of gold and the Jews the bonds of paper. But at the right time, the harlot will destroy the present-day money system by calling in all the paper and demanding gold. <laughs> With no gold, the system fails. It's all set up, saints. All the pieces are right there in place. You say, well, what's waiting? It's just waiting on us. It's just waiting on the bride to recognize who she is. For her to get right in her place. For her to so become a representation of Christ so she goes up. Oh my. And the whole church, harlot church, will take over the whole world. I want to go back to the temptation for a moment and then deal on, talks about in the Laodicean church age in paragraph 167 if you're wondering. Says a quick look at those scriptures which involve the Lord Jesus overcoming. We'll bring up the truth of this proposition. He says in Matthew 4, wherein Jesus is tempted of the devil, he overcame the personal temptations of Satan by the word. And by the word only. 
In each of the three major trials that corresponded exactly with the temptations of the Garden of Eden, what did he say back in the Philadelphian church age? What would that temptation be? Just like it was in the Garden of Eden. And now he says, how did it correspond with Jesus? Just exactly the way it was. What was it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Now this gets very, very personal. As I was studying into this, this just began to come this way. So I trust it's okay with you. If it's not, well, it was okay with the Lord, so here we are. <laughs> God bless you. I hope it's a blessing to you. But it was a blessing to me. But here it comes in this way, and I feel, you know, quite often we overcome these things in stages. Look, I say, well, the lust of the flesh, Brother Andrew, I feel I've overcome that. The lust of the eyes, by the grace of God, I've overcome that. Those things don't bother me anymore. Now it comes down to the pride of life. What if you can't have that new truck? What if you can't have that house anymore? What if you can't? work at the high up job anymore what if you can't what if it's no longer there now the pride of life begins to get sucked away you begin to lose privileges things begin to happen and also you go oh you begin to know where you're standing and i believe that exactly the decision you'd make right now is the decision you'd make then because if, if you're willing to make the decision now and say, I'll reject that because it's going to take me out of church. It's going to take me out of the presence of God. You'd make the same decision under pressure. Amen. This isn't to put you in a place where you say, oh, what would I do? No, what would you do now? Would you serve God now? Would you choose him over everything else? If you do that now, you'll do it later. Amen. And just stay strong on the word of God. But it says in the pride of life, Jesus overcame by the word. He fell by a personal temptation of Satan by failing to use the word. By trying to think she could use her own way. She could use her own ideas. She could use her own thoughts. Step out from behind the word. It wasn't that she didn't use anything. She used her reasoning. And she fell by it. But Jesus, by using the word. Adam fell in direct disobedience to the word, knowingly. But Jesus overcame by the word. And right now, let me say this, so that it, it can all, say this is the only way to be an overcomer. Also, it is the only way that you can know if you are overcoming. Because the word can't fail. Heavens and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away. The word of God will never fail. Not one jot, not one tittle, not one punctuation, not one letter, nothing. He says, now notice again how Jesus overcame the world systems of religion. When he was repeatedly badgered by the theologians of his day, he constantly applied the word. He spake only what the Father gave him to speak. There was not a time when the world was not utterly confused by his wisdom. For it was the wisdom of God. Oh, praise God. That right there catches so many people. I've been caught there before too. I'll be honest with you. When you speak the word and someone says, I don't understand it, you're going to have to break. And then you find yourself in this hour-long conversation where you're trying to explain God. You can't explain God. 
If they're not predestinated to receive it, they won't receive it. But it wasn't a time, Brother Brown says, they weren't utterly confounded and confused by the word of God that came forth from Christ. But yet it was the truth. And those that were predestinated to see it, they saw it. They received it. They got a hold of it. They lived it. They were there on the day of Pentecost. 120 of them, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not our choosing, it's His. It's up to us to keep the Word of God. In His own personal life, contending with Himself, He overcame by obedience to the Word of God. As it says in Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 9, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, him, the word. Forgive me, I want to go a little bit further here. But he says, what was he obedient to? The word of God. Now then, there will not be one person who will sit in the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ unless he has been living that word. Your prayers, your fastings, your repentance, no matter what you present to God, None of that will gain you the privilege of sitting on that throne. It will be granted only to the word bride. As the throne of the king is shared with the queen because she is united to him. So only they who are that word even as he is of that word will share that throne. Oh hallelujah. It doesn't matter, as I spoke a couple Wednesdays ago, you can have so much to offer to God, but if you don't have relationship with Him, if the Word of God isn't living in you, it's not going to do you any good. Now He says in the message, is your life worthy of the gospel? He says, now the same thing in the natural applies to the spiritual. That if we, as inheritance of eternal life, and we hear the gospel and know that it's true, and we reject it and refuse to do it or to listen to it, we take on the mark of the beast. Now somebody said, now there's going to be a mark of the beast. It's going to come someday. Let me tell you, it's already come. Matter of fact, it's historical. He says, as soon as the Holy Ghost begin to fall, the mark of the beast begin to take place. So right there on the day of Pentecost, right when they went out and preached, the 3,000 were saved, there was also more people there that took the mark of the beast. It doesn't say all that heard them received the Holy Ghost. It said 3,000 were added to the church. And everyone else that heard it and that said, no, it's not for me. And they rejected it. That was immediately where it started. But he says there's only two things. One of them is accept it, take the seal of God. To reject it is take the mark of the beast. To reject the seal of God is to, is to take the mark of the beast. Everyone understand. He says reject the seal of God, take the mark of the beast. He repeats it over and over and over. He says the Bible said all that was not sealed by the seal of God took the mark of the beast. He says, when the trumpet sounded and all that wanted to go free could go free, and them that didn't was marked. 
And he says, now you see the mark of the beast, if we talk about it in the future, is when it's going to be made manifest. When you realize it's what you've already done. Oh my. See, so your reaction now is what will be. What you do now is what will manifest itself in the future. The fact that you reject the word of God, you, take the, you might say, well, I'm just fine. But later on, it begins, oh, I missed it. Woe unto you. So, so is it with the Holy Spirit. It's to be manifested when we see the Lord Jesus coming in glory, feel that transforming power, see the dead rising out of the grave, and know that just one second longer we'll be changed and have a body like his. It'll be made manifest, and to see those who rejected it will be left down and out. Didn't Jesus say he went, that virgins went to meet Christ? Some of them fell asleep. Some on the first watch, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh watch. But in the seventh watch, then came forth the sound. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. And the ones that were sleeping awakened and all the age back to Pentecost woke up from the seventh age and seventh church age all the way back through, woke up. And these were, were in this church age a living. They were changed and they went in. But the very, at the very time they went in, the sleeping virgin come and said, we want to buy some of your oil. And they said, we got just enough for ourselves. Go to them that sell it. And while they were trying to receive this oil, the bridegroom come. There's never been a time in the history of the world, he says that the Episcopalians, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, that the papers are full. The religious papers are praising God. And you know what? This is, this is way back in 1963, and it's still the same today. You can still get focus on the family, and they're rejoicing. And you can still get other magazines and other articles, and they're rejoicing over this great moving of God. You could go on YouTube and you could watch great youth revival services. Oh, praise the Lord. We had the Holy Ghost before the organ came. That's what they're preaching, honestly. I went and listened to it. I was confused, too. But he says, these are the sleeping virgins that are now trying to receive Pentecost. Trying to receive the Holy Ghost. And don't the people realize that it will not happen according to the word of God? While they were trying to come back and the bridegroom come and took away the bride and they were cast into utter darkness for judgment because they rejected their invitation. All peoples are bidden to come. God in every age has sent out his light and it's been rejected. And now today is no different than any other day. To reject the day of the visitation when God is making a visit to the church and to the people, receive it then. Don't put it off till next year, next revival. That's the hour. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. Praise God. Anti-message tabernacle. Today is the day. Let's not put it off and say, well, Brother Andrew, he'll still be preaching here next year. I don't know. Maybe I'll be raptured. Brother Ed, oh, maybe he'll be preaching next year. Maybe he'll be raptured. And you'll be caught going, where was I? What did I do? Yeah. You put it off. 
Right here, sitting under the message, an individual could hear the word of God, and God move on their hearts, and you reject it. And God move right on. Say, oh, have I sinned away the day of grace? No, God might move again. He might not. I don't know. But then some of them could sit right in the midst of the message and not be a believer, though they call themselves believers. This is so harsh. We've got to bring this side out before we can get to the positive. Because we can do it. We could sit right in the midst of a message, church. We could sit right under the sound of the voice of the seventh angel. We could sit right under and just push play and push play and push play over and over until we've heard every message and we could quote it backwards and forwards and not live a single word of it. Or I'll say, live 99% of it. Take the word of God and live 50%, 90%, 99%, but Eve on one word. How can I do it? It's got to be relationship. you got to know the one who gave the word because he's the one that's going to help you live it. I'm so glad that in this dark hour, Jesus is walking along with his church, showing himself alive. This, in 1957, he's preaching this, and then Jesus came. In 1956 is when America as a nation rejected the gospel. But right now he's coming along and says, this is the darkest hour this world has ever seen. Since the dawn of time, never has it been like this. Never has it been so separated. Never has the church been so torn to pieces. Never has it been so denominationally eat up. So many differences, so many sensations and things going on in the church. But right in the midst of it all, Jesus comes along. In the darkest of the hour to show himself and his love to the church. The darkest of hour, then Jesus come along. I appreciate the prayer this morning. Brother Walbert, Brother Blaine, will you pray? Lord, help us to love our brother and sister more than we love ourselves. Help us to love one another and prefer them more than we prefer ourselves. Help us to love that way and not be caught up and so separated and pushy and jealous and all of these envies and things going on. But let us put our brother before ourselves and say, Lord, remember them. He says in Elijah and the meal offering, 1960, he says, maybe it looks awful dark now. But he says, you know, sometimes we're taught it's always darkest before day. That it's at the darkest hour of the night when the morning star shines. It's reflecting the coming of the sun. Notice how he changes his, he begins to look at, he says, the morning star. Not just the moon, he says, the morning star. Begins to shine. And it's reflecting the coming of the sun. In Watchmen, one of the night, Brother Branham would say, now that's what the church is supposed to do. Reflect the presence of God while the sun is gone. But when the sun comes up, the moon's gone. But just before day, did you ever notice? Just before day, the moon gets real pale. And it goes out. 
And I tell you, the church has already turned pale. It's anemic. It's gone away from the blood, gone away from salvation and the Holy Ghost and the teaching of the word. And it's become anemic. Even the message church. Not the word bride. Even the message church that would sit and listen to the anointed word and not receive it. But there is a bride, because there's been churches, churches. There's been brides, bride. But there's coming a bride, and I believe she's sitting right in front of me. There is a bride that will not be deceived, that will take a rapture, that will get caught up, that will not become anemic. Why? Because she's gone beyond that. He says it goes down when that happens. The sun is approaching. In the darkest hour of the night is just before dawn. Science claims it's the night and the sun approaching, pressing, coming on and pressing, congealing the night and, and the night together because it knows that it's got just a little while until the day will break. Why is it so dark? Why is the devil roaring about like a roaring lion, going about seeking whom he may devour? Why is he so hard? Why is he pushing and pushing? Because the sun's rising. Because the sun's breaking over the horizon and there's a morning star that's shining brightly. Oh, hallelujah. Just before daybreak, it comes out. What comes out? The morning star. What does the morning star mean? He stands alone. He's God's watchman. He stands in the tower alone. The rest of the star is faded. The moon's gone. Just before the break of day, the sun begins to shine against the morning star. And it reflects the true light of the true sun. That's just ready to shine. What is it? The morning star. The church of the living God today. Who's the watchman of the tower warning the nations and the people. It stands alone. A man that stands for God stands alone. But what's he doing? He's reflecting the same light of the S-O-N that went down years ago and it's rising again. What is that true church's ministry? What's he saying? He's I thought the moon, that was the bride, and it was reflecting, yeah, up to a certain point. But now he says, right at the break. Right at the break of day. That moon has become so anemic, it goes down. He says, but there's a bright star. It's so far beyond the world. It's so far gone out there. It's a mystic to the world. They think it's some distant galaxy and they can't understand it. But it's always the same place. It's always sure. It's always there. What is it? It's the true church. It's the bride of Christ in this day that stands alone. And that ministry is the ministry of that church will be the ministry of the S-O-N. Because it's the reflection of the same S-O-N power, the same S-O-N light. And the world will know when the sun, S-O-N, rises and what it will look like. What will it look like? You. They're waiting for someone with a thorn crown and holes, holes, holes. 
They're waiting for something like that. But what will it be? They're looking at it every day. Because you're a direct reflection of exactly what the SON is. Oh, believers, let us be alive to Christ. So dead to the world, to the things of this world, fade away into the darkness. That the morning star should be so bright till every other star would lose its attraction. That that morning star is so far beyond the world, the world no longer blocks its view. We shall see him, we shall know him, for we shall be like him. Forgive me, I'm paraphrasing that. Job, Brother Bannon would say, notice Job. No matter what went, what gone, what the church said, what anyone else said, he knowed he met God's requirements. How could a man know that? When you got everyone else, he's got his three accusers, they're trying to bombard him and bombard him and bombard him and bombard him. But he knowed that he met God's requirement. He wasn't looking at that accuser. He was looking beyond it to the sun. The morning star isn't looking at the world. It's looking beyond it. It's become a direct reflection. There is no more cresting out of the earth. He was standing on the blood, the burnt sacrifice, and notice when that last hour of his temptation came, he was, and they told him to curse God and die and so forth. He said, you speak like a foolish woman. Then Elihu come. L-E-L means God's strong one. Break down his name and you got God in Christ, representative. Come down. He didn't accuse Job of being a sinner. But Job wanted to know where that a God was when he, where he could go and knock on his door and talk to him. That where that, 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 that there would be one, a righteous one. Elihu told him, you could stay, that, that Elihu told him that could stand in the breach, put his hand on sinful man and a holy God, and could bridge the way between a sinful man and a holy God. There the real true blood offering would come someday and do just that. And it was made that day at Calvary where a holy God, the blood of Jesus Christ, would bridge the gap between us a sinful man and a holy God. That Job would be able to stand there no matter how much everyone looked at him and said, you're crazy. You've gone mad. You can't truly think you're a real Christian. But he got so shut in with God. So soundproof to the things of the world, to all the cares of the life and all the things of the world. They could say it's too late. It's too much. They could say, you guys, you don't know what you're preaching. It hasn't happened yet. It'll never happen. Isaiah said, behold, a virgin shall conceive. Everybody got their booties ready. Every young single virgin sister, they all got ready. The praise be to God. The church that Isaiah had there, they were all ready. We're going to conceive, praise God. It's going to be me. It's going to be me. It's going to be me. Till all of them died. The next generation came up, perhaps with a little bit less enthusiasm. They thought, well, when I get pregnant, then I'll get the booties ready. They all died. The next generation come up and they thought, well, you know, we'll just see how the Lord does it. 
And they all died. And the next generation come up and says, it must have been metaphorical. And they all died. Until the next generation come up and they said, I think when he comes, he's going to come riding on a white horse. And they all died. And the next generation come up. They just got further and farther until 800 years went by. Till they had their own idea of exactly how the Messiah was coming. And when he finally come, guess what? Behold, a virgin shall conceive. God fulfilled his word just exactly as it was written. God's not a creature of time that he looks at it and says, well, I better do it quick because everyone's falling away. There will be a seed that will receive it. If it's not you, it will be somebody. So put your name there. See, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Though these skin worms destroy this flesh, yet in my flesh I will see God. Because I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that if I die, I've got another body waiting. I know that if I go in the ground, no matter how hard it gets in the darkest of hours, oh, even if he doesn't deliver me like the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were able to tell the king, even if he doesn't, even if I go in there and I'm instantly incinerated like your guards, even if it happens to me, I won't bow. I won't join your world council. I won't go into that thing. I won't accept an organizational life. I won't sit in a message church and reject the advances of the Lord Jesus. I'll say, Lord, come by my way. Oh, whom I shall see for myself. Hallelujah. Job wasn't willing to put it to another and say, well, my children's children, they'll see God. I'll see him for myself. I will behold him one day. Oh, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and he leads me through the promised land. What a day! Not just landing my son, but me. Oh, praise God, not just Brother Ben, but me. Now you're getting to know me a little more. Oh, for the church today, someone who will stand in the tower, watchman, what of the night? Oh, my. There's been a lot said about what's going on today. Watchmen, what of the night? Where are we at? Oh, dawn's just getting ready to break. The morning star is shining. It's ready to reflecting the light of the sun shining on the star. It's just the church. Oh, I love, don't you love it, the book of Esther? What did her name mean? Why couldn't she go in and be Hadassah? Why did she have to be Esther? A star. She had to be that to be a reflection of the king. She had to be able, she couldn't just be Hadassah. She had to be Esther. She had to be the queen Esther. She had to be a star. She had to be something that could be a reflection of the king that could give back. Now, it's 
ready. He says, now, it isn't the church. It isn't the person. It's the sun that's a reflecting on the star. That reflects the sunlight on the earth. It's not the church. It's the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Son of God that's reflecting in the church, that's proving his power. What is it? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Lest you come and say, where's the proof of what you believe? He's dead. He's in the grave. Show me the proof. Oh, when he's shining and he's reflecting, he proves his power. He's the one doing it. Not a bride that's just out there on her own. He's the one doing the work in her. He's the one that's pulling. He's the one that's at the reins. Oh my, see, he's doing exactly the same thing. The same ministry he did when he left the earth. He's here tonight doing the same thing. Reflecting his coming. Reflecting what? Not the paleness of the moon. But reflecting the same sign. What comes to pass? Not the moon. The star. The morning star hails the coming of the sun. All the morning stars, all you morning stars, rise and shine. It's time to shine. The coming of the Lord is at hand, reflecting his promise, reflecting the oncoming S-O-N, giving the same signs. Hallelujah. Oh, it's time to rise and shine. Behold, your light has come. It's not just the light of the moon. It's not just the light of the earth. It's your light. You, the morning star, the bride of Jesus Christ. This is for you. This is your gospel. This is your truth. Hallelujah. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Sodom, it'll be the same thing at the coming of the Son of Man. The same ministry that the sun went down in. The same light that went down in is coming again in the resurrection power. The morning star is reflecting that light and we cry, watchmen, what of the night? Oh, hallelujah. It's just about breaking day. We're just about home. It's just about that great millennial morning when we'll step from time into eternity. We're just about there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Watchmen, what of the night? Don't you feel that in your heart throbbing over and over? Why? What's happening? There's a rising up higher. So we put too much on a mountaintop experience and dancing and shaking and jumping around instead of all night prayer meetings. Down in the valley of decision where you have to come down there and meet God and really pour out your life until something takes place. We have let, oh, we've grown fruits up there, but the freeze kills it on the mountaintop. That's right, every time it comes, a little cool spell, you've got nothing to rest upon. Oh, my Lord. When it comes and all the emotions there and everything's wonderful and 
It might not be a special service. It might be a wonderful service where there's rejoicing, there's carrying on. And it's wonderful. It's a mountaintop. Rejoice. Which is you can't stay up there. Because pretty soon you come down to a real heart-searching service and you go, I got nothing. You're still up there on the mountains saying, see, this ain't, this ain't what I signed up for. He says, when the emotion is over, it dies down, and the shout's all gone, and the noise cease, then where are you at? Then the temptation comes along, and you can't take it. Oh, my. Rise up and pray, lest you be taken, overcome with temptation, lest the temptation come, lest you enter into temptation. Not that you've tempted. We'll all be tempted, whether you're praying. I've been deep in prayer, and a tempting thought comes. Sometimes that's the devil's favorite time. When he sees you pray, he puts the next clip in. Just starts unloading on you. And you're like, Lord, I just wanted to pray, and all these things just coming, coming, coming. What's going on? He upgraded his mudslinger or something. Why? It's not that temptation won't come, but that you don't enter into it. In the message countdown, he says, and remember, the astronaut is controlled by a radar power. We just turned a bit of a corner here. He says, you've seen them bring John Glenn in. How many know who John Glenn is? All right, good. Some of you. Some of us are just too shy to raise our hands. So. As I look down there at Cape Carnival, Canaveral, there we go, I can say it right, and seeing that great big radar thing, I'm going to be honest with you, the only time I've ever heard Cape Canaveral is in the message. So that's how good my history is. Cape Canaveral, and seeing that great big radar thing, and you couldn't see him, the astronaut, anywhere, nowhere. But you could tell where he was at by the way the radar was pointing. That's where he was at. See, and we got a radar too. It's called prayer. And prayer is the radar power that directs the astronaut. Ask the Father anything in my name and I'll do it. See, just watch the way the prayer's going and you can see the way he's pointing. Amen. Just watch the way the church is praying and you can see the way the missiles will fly. You can tell the way the astronauts are traveling by the way the church is praying. Oh my, you can tell the way the astronauts are traveling by the way the church is praying. By the way we get on our knees, by the things we say, by the relationship that we have. Is it a deep relationship or is it just a surface relationship? You can tell. Oh my, I found it interesting. Compasses. Did you know that compasses work in space? They do. Compasses work using magnetic fields. Here on Earth, a compass would just point towards magnetic north. A compass will align itself with the strongest magnetic field in the region. I'll say this, that's why we need more than a good moral compass. 
Because a compass will just align itself with the strongest magnetic pole. Says so this. This is why. This is why you, when you, if you get a magnetic pole and, and get a magnetic and hold it close to the compass, it will change the direction it's pointing. If you take a compass and you take a magnet, you just begin to whirl that thing around. It'll, it'll go towards that magnet every time because it's going towards the strongest magnetic pole. If that magnet's stronger than the magnetic pole of the North Pole, it'll pull towards your magnet every time. It says as you leave the Earth though and move into the space, the magnetic field will get weaker. Even though the field is weaker, the compass will still align with it, meaning that a compass on the International Space Station would still be reliable guide to the North Pole. Oh my, you can even get out to space. You can even be an astronaut and get out there and take on that kind of an organization called an International Space Station. And you get right out there. I'm smiling because some of you know where I'm going. You get right out there on that space station and you feel like, I'm an astronaut. I've made it. I'm in the International Space Station. My moral compass still points dead north. Praise God. I'm good enough. Hey, I got a really close friend that I still pray for and I still believe for. But he decided to go this way. I sat down with him one time and I said, I just need to know why won't you come and why, why'd you leave? And he said, I don't agree with God's moral compass. Said, well, yours is better? So well, I don't really need to say anything then because you've just challenged God. So best of luck. But you can get that way where you get out there and say, well, I'm so spiritual and my compass still points true north because you're still in the magnetic pole of the world. It says, but as you leave earth, it gets weaker. If you choose to go further away, things will get a little more interesting. If you move far away from earth until you reach the point where the sun's magnetic field will be stronger, at that point, the compass would swap allegiances and will point to true north of the sun. That's amazing. That you get far enough away, you finally break free from the gravitational and the magnetic pole of the earth till finally you break into the magnetic field of the sun. Your own compass will switch. It's that way in the spiritual, the natural types of spiritual. When you finally break away enough from the world and don't just stop at a little organization, a little this, a little that. But when you finally break away enough, your compass begins to switch to a different magnetic pole. And it even goes beyond this. It says, of course, if you were to send a compass right out into the intergalactic space, the space between galaxy, then your compass would probably not work at all. Oh, my. Now you need something more. Hallelujah. Now the compass ain't working. I can't find my way back home. I've got so far out into the eternities. There comes a time in the Word of God where you get so far out into the eternities of the Word of God, it blows your own moral compass. The point where you can't tell which way to go. There's only one way. You need a radar. You need a signal to come to you. And you need to send a signal out to know where you're at. You need prayer. After 40 days, the message of the mighty conqueror says after 40 days, he was standing 
giving his last commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Not build churches, not make organizations, but preach the gospel. He says, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils and so forth. And he goes on. As he was speaking, gravitation became conquered. There becomes light under his feet. Think about this. Just as Jesus was talking, he began to speak to them, going into all the world. He begins to ascend up into heaven. There comes this way, and then he begins to conquer gravitation's way. There comes light under his feet. As hundreds of brothers watching, he begins to move on up, ascending up. Him and the Old Testament saints going on into glory. They went on beyond the stars, beyond the moon, beyond the stars and stars. They come right into the sight of the great city. Oh, what, what that must have been. Jesus out in front as the great conqueror marching on. And all of a sudden, the Old Testament saints come into the sight of that beautiful city. And they scream with one great blast as that shook the heavens. Lift up, ye everlasting gates. And be ye lifted up and let the king of glory come in. Oh my, now what we see, you see, Brother Andrew, that's in the natural, that's where you're seeing a spiritual natural type where you have Jesus going up and you have him going up in the saints and they finally go up into glory. How does that apply to us? Because we in the spiritual are already going there. Do you really believe that? You say, I'm just waiting for this body to catch up to what's already in here because I'm an astronaut. I've gone beyond. I'm way up in the morning star. So what am I, what am I looking for? What, what is my direction? What is my compass? What, is, what am I looking for? I need to be in relationship with the one that's in here. I need to rise. I need to pray. I need to watch. Lest I begin to doubt the direction that I'm going. Lest I begin to doubt the guy that's, the guy that's been put within me. Because there's something within us that's conquered the gravitational pull of the world. Spiritually. It's conquered the gravitational pull where the devil's pulling and he's putting all of his temptations, all of his lust of the eyes and his lust of the flesh and his pride of life and he's putting it all out there. But there's something to real believe. This is I'm not even interested. I've conquered that. Jesus Christ in me has already conquered that. I'm more than a conqueror. I've ascended beyond the world, has no more pull on me. I'm just waiting for this flesh that's stuck, trotting naturally around on this world to break free. This is a spiritual astronaut is controlled by a unit, a unit of prayer. I'm over time, must forgive me. A unit of prayer that controls the spiritual astronaut, keeps him lined up. It keeps him heading right on to that celestial city. What is it? It's prayer. It's a radar. It's a, it's, a, it's a relationship with God that keeps you lined up right with the Word of God because if it's just read and read, it becomes theology and it becomes misdirection and it becomes all kinds of things where you try and put it together in your own mind and it just doesn't make sense. But because you have a relationship with the Holy Ghost, it begins to be revealed to you that though I know my Redeemer lives and the Spirit and the Bride, that's me, are saying, come. And oh, I'm going to dwell with Him. And I'm that tree of life. I'm the one that's bearing the fruits. I'm the one that's speaking of me. Whosoever shall drink of the water of life, let him have it freely. Surely I come quickly. Lord, it's me. Oh, it's good, I tell you. 
God had a little unit setting on earth one time when his first astronaut was here. And you know what? One little touch of faith stopped him. And that answered back. Prayer changes things. It changes position by prayer. That can control. See, we see what, we can, be, what can be done in the natural. It's a type of the spiritual, the spiritual happenings. It can be controlled that way. Think about it, prayer. The first astronaut, as he was walking, just one little touch of faith, one little woman that said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, stopped him. Who touched me? What did he say of the morning star? That morning star is doing the same thing. And it's not another. It's not just we're waiting for something, but he's here now doing the same works. She will do the greater works. Hallelujah, that even a prayer of faith, what are we looking to stop? That it could be your brother or your sister that your prayer is answered by. That stops. And God answered you right there. Oh, God, help us separate completely from the things of the world as the musicians would come. If they come, it'll help me quit. The Redham says, and is your life worthy of the gospel? He says, there's only one church. Let's skip that. Let's go on to this one. He says, the Holy Spirit is not a cesspool. No, 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 no. The heart is occupied by the Holy Spirit. It's full of holiness. Purity, thinking no evil, doeth no evil, believeth all things, endureth all things, is long-suffering. What's he doing? If you're full of love, 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about you. Don't fuss then. When the family gets in a fuss, don't fuss with them. Your mother said, well, I haven't nothing to do. I ain't having you go up there. That old church anymore. Well, you, all you go up there now, you're letting your hair grow out. You look like some old grandma. Don't fuss with her. Say, okay, mother, it's all right. I love you. Just the same. I'll be praying for you as long as I live. Now, don't fuss. Temper breeds temper. First thing you know, you grieve the Holy Spirit away from it. You'll be fussing back. Then the Holy Spirit takes its flight. Temper breeds temper. But love breeds love. Be full of love. Jesus said, this will all men know you're my disciples. When you have love one for another. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love. And love brings joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, patience. Let love be without dissimulation. Let's stand to our feet. that song just to know his hand extended reaching out to the unknown 
just to be his hand together I love the words of that song let me touch Jesus so that others may know when you're connected in with him when you're baptized by one spirit into one body and you become a representation of Jesus Christ you become an ambassador for Christ others can come and touch you oh to be his hand extended let me be the one, Lord, like it was Jesus when he was there. If they could just touch the hem of his garments. But then it became Peter as he just walked in the midst. They said, just let his shadow fall over me. What ought the bride of Christ to be today? A direct representation, that morning star shining out. A direct representation of the S-O-N. Lord Jesus, I've come beyond the things of the world. I believe I've gone beyond all of these things. But Lord, I need a closer walk. I need to just be so in touch with you, Lord. I need to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I need to know you. I need to know that when you're speaking, I can be silent. I need to just be able to just quiet my heart, Lord. Just quiet me, Lord. Let peaceful waters flow. Learn to be still, oh my soul. Let me hear when Jesus is walking near. Oh, when I pray, let me know when to be silent, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, there is none like you. Lord, as he preaches that service, your servant does. Watchmen, what of the night? It was so close back then, Lord, where are we standing now? Lord, it feels like, Lord, we're just right on the brink of time. Lord, we're raising up yonder, Lord, and we, without you, Lord, we'd be lost hopelessly in space. An astronaut without a radar, a compass that doesn't work. We'd be all over the place, Lord. But Father, we need an open channel with you. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's someone here that needs to just blow up the flues a little bit. Needs to let loose, needs to just let all of the, the cares of this world out and 
all the things that have blocked up that channel and blocked up that, that prayer life. Lord, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. It wouldn't hold us any longer, Lord. But Father, we can walk with you, Lord. We wouldn't be waiting on just one or just two. But Lord, that we walk as a united body in the Holy Spirit and know that you're the leader of this church. You're the leader of this bride. It's the Holy Ghost, the morning star. In each one of us, Lord, reflecting you. We're just waiting, oh God, for you to come. We love you, Lord. Help us to be ready. We commit each one to you, Lord, and pray just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus. It's my plea. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 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 We sing that together. Brother Ethan, there is none like you. There is none like you. I just sing it to him tonight. No one else can touch my heart like you do. You've caught a glimpse of him in your life. Just open your heart and say, Lord, I can search for all eternity, Lord. And find there is none like you. I love you with my soul. Lord, I love Once more. 